Hello, it's Mike Mazzola with the Hard Sun Podcast. It's July 31st, 2021, 11 o'clock in the morning here at my kitchen table on the west side of Colorado Springs. I've been gone from the show for several weeks now. It's been a combination of factors. One, it's summertime and I've been doing summertime things. It's beautiful here in Colorado this time of year. Two, I've been a little quiet and introverted. The last couple of shows, Natalie Johnson and Bill Morris were really satisfying for me, and I've just been taking a little bit of a break from it. I'm hoping to start promoting the show more, and I've just been enjoying my quiet time uh, throughout this summer. Oh my gosh, the state of the world, you know, post-pandemic, pre-pandemic, what are, you know, new variants of the pandemic, the Olympics, so much in the media, so much going on. One, I think we would all agree agree there is you know, a lot of stress nas- locally, nationally, and globally. I ran into, um, if you're familiar with Rich Roll, he has a podcast, very popular, Special Human, does wonderful interviews. I ran into a monologue from him a few weeks ago, and I'd like to read it. Speaking of the state of the world and our spirituality and how we blend it together. This from Rich a couple of weeks ago. We are in this competitive predatory relationship with other people, with ourselves, with the world. It's a zero sum approach to basically everything. We are materialists seeking answers in ego, status, money, power, consumption, accumulation. And it's also a culture in which it's considered a lower order naivete to seek reconciliation or answer in the mystical and the unknown. It's almost perceived as a weakness in this age of science. And yet when you look around, you see depression rates at unprecedented levels. We're seeing this breakdown in our ability to civilly communicate with each other. The seeds of social destruction have been sown. From my perspective, the only way for salvation is in spiritual practice and learning to more deeply connect with who we are, to find our innate humanity that allows us to connect to others and live more symbiotically on the planet that supports us. And yet I despair at times because I don't see that as a cultural priority. So beautiful from Rich. If you get a chance, and you're unaware, please check out his podcast. I have a wonderful interview to share with you today. Roger Butts is a staff chaplain at Penrose Hospital here in Colorado Springs. During the pandemic, he wrote a book called Seeds of Devotion, Weekly Contemplations on Faith. As a segue, I would like to talk about a beautiful, intuitive, spiritual experience I had just last week. I was driving home from work. I live about 10 minutes, 10 minutes from my office. And for anyone listening in Colorado Springs, they'll know these streets. If not, just picture them at, you know, as, as a downtown area of any city in, in the country. I was sitting at the intersection of Nevada Avenue and Colorado Avenue, heading west. And I started to text a friend 
And it was something simple. I play pickleball with a couple of friends and I was uh, checking in to see if we were playing that evening. And I, I was sitting at the stoplight, a couple of cars in front of me, started to text and I stopped myself and I had this really strong sensation to stop texting. Stop what you're doing, look up and pay attention. And normally, I mean, I try not to text while I'm actually driving, but, but you know, we probably all do it. We, we're at a stoplight and we send a quick text to someone. Normally when I do that, there's an undercurrent, a feeling of like, eh, I probably shouldn't do it, but it's safe and it's okay. But as I started to do it this time, it didn't feel safe. I felt a strong sensation to stop. So I stopped, put the phone on the console of, the, of, of my truck and started driving. And I drove through, as a light turned green, I drove through Tejon Street, heading west on Colorado. It's going maybe 30 miles an hour. There were two cars in front of me. And just for a second, I looked away. I kind of looked up. I was daydreaming, looked up and away. And within just kind of a count of one 1,000, two 1,000, the car, two, two vehicles in front of me, stopped really abruptly and tried to turn into a parking garage. For someone locally, it's the Wells Fargo building. And um, I was so close behind that I locked up my brakes and I was too close and I had to swerve into the other lane and luckily no one was coming and I escaped from hitting anyone. And it would have, the, the accident would have been my fault. This person clearly stopped very quickly. It was kind of reckless of them, but I had looked away for just a couple of seconds. It was an innocent thing, but, but I may have, I may have hurt the person in front of me and I may have hurt myself if I was actually, if I had continued texting maybe, or, or, or was distracted but something very strong, a very strong feeling came over me just 60 seconds prior. We can pass this off as coincidence. I have too many experiences now, the last few years that, that I've had that, that allow me to experience these, th these types of things and, 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 and know with a capital K that something much greater is happening. The universe, God, whatever it is, it, he, she is, our own intuition, our own energy forces, it's way beyond me, but it's certainly a theme of this show. And so I want to read a, a, a passage of Roger's book along this same vein. Starts on page 192. Again, Roger is um, a chaplain at a local hospital. And, you know, chaplains stand in the space between the spiritual world, the physical world. They have some of the most important jobs to help people through tragedy, through, you know, very difficult situations like losing, losing a family member. Um, and so this, this, this is a really beautiful story. This is Roger, page 192. It's titled, God is with us. God is with us. 
All I knew was that the page I got was some kind of cyclist versus an automobile trauma, nothing more. Monday, I worked my regular shift at the hospital. This go-round, I was on the shift from 1 to 9.30 p.m. That night, I happened to go, I happened to be covering the pager for both hospitals, the one in the center of town and the one in the north part of town where I had worked all day. At 9.30, I got in my car and headed home. I live in the south part of town, so it was a long trip. About halfway home, 15 minutes into my drive, I got a page from the hospital in the center of town. I drove towards that historic hospital building that I love. I got there and learned that the cyclist Jack in his late 40s was on a bicycle. He had been hit by a car in a town three hours from our hospital. The family was expected in an hour to an hour and a half. I waited. I got the phone number for the brother. After an hour or so, the brain surgeon had a very difficult conversation with the brother as he, as he drove towards Colorado Springs through mountain towns. There is not much we can do. If on the remote chance your brother survived, he'd always be a vegetable. The brother was sure that the patient would not want to live like that, that he'd prefer to go to heaven and be re- reunited with their father who had died eight, eight months earlier. Drive safely. Do not rush. We will all be here waiting for you. You all are in our prayers, I said as I hung up with the brother. When the brother Henry arrived with his wife, the patient was transferred from the emergency department to the critical care unit. It took a while for the doctor to come in and oversee the removal of the ventilator. Jack was young and his heart was strong. He fought just as he'd fought and played in his life, in his life vibrantly. As Jack's breathing slowed, Henry and his wife, Vivian, told stories about Jack and how he loved to help out around the ranch, how he loved to call people on the phone asking for this or that. While Jack had a developmental disability, it never interfered with his connection with people. He worked every day hard. And when he was a child, his knees were positioned in such a way that he was told he'd never walk. And yet he walked and ran throughout his life. I hate that this happened to Jack, so innocent, so pure, Vivian said at some point. We love you, Jack, always will. Henry whispered, you did so great. You were so great. It is time to rest. After a time, Jack died. The doctor left. Henry and Vivian said their goodbyes. And after 20 minutes, we all wrapped things up, talked funeral homes and next steps. And I gave them a book on bereavement with my name and phone number in it and lots of articles about things like holidays and loss. I went to my office, charted quickly. I was exhausted. I had started at 1 p.m. at our hospital up north and was finishing my day at our downtown hospital at 4 a.m. I shut off the lights in the office and walked to my car, three pagers attached to my belt. To leave this hospital toward my home, I drive through old mansions in a part of town called the Old North End. A neighborhood could not contain more beauty. As I approached a major street, Uenta, my pager went off. Oh boy, I thought. On the pager was a simple phone number. The only problem was that my phone was dead. No charger, no juice. I had to make a decision. Do I turn around and head the eight to 10 blocks back to the hospital? I turned on to Uenta. In front of me was a 7-Eleven. How busy can a 7-Eleven be at 4 a.m.? I thought to myself, 
I'll ask the clerk if there are, I'll ask the clerk there if I can borrow a phone to use. If he says no, I'll go back to Penrose. There were more cars than I would have guessed. I got out of my car and coming out of the front door right at that moment as I approached it were none other than Vivian and Henry. Oh my gosh, I said. Hey, do you have a phone on you? Yes, of course. Use Henry's. I called the hospital number. It was the chargers. <laughs> I'm getting choked up uh, because I know this story. <laughs> um, yes, of course. Use Henry's. I called the hospital number. It was the charge nurse from CCU, where we had just spent the last few hours of Jack's life, bearing witness to the goodness at the heart of his being. Hey, Roger. Hey, Roger, it's Nurse May. I just have a quick question about the details of the contact information for Henry, Jack's brother. <laughs> well, that should be easy. Here he is. Ask him directly. In the parking lot of the 7-Eleven, I handed him the phone, gave him another final hug, hugged Vivian and was on my way. Vivian said as we departed, God is with us. God is with us. I hope, I hope as I read that, the, the message came through. But essentially, Roger, the divine was with him. God and the universe were with him. He left the hospital. The hospital needed more information. He happened to pull into the 7-Eleven. And, and they were, and Henry and Vivian were waiting right there, and he used their phone to connect to them. That's more than a coincidence. That's God and the universe in action. The same way that I felt that really intense feeling to look up and stop texting so I didn't have an accident. Super excited to share this interview with you. Here it is. I talked to Roger several weeks ago. Um, please enjoy. So I'm here today with Roger Butts. We are here in Colorado Springs. I didn't actually, we just talked off of, uh, off before recording. Uh, I live in uh, the west side of Colorado Springs, Old Colorado City. Where do you live? Well, I live in the west side of Colorado Springs too, but in the most suburban part, um, Gold Hill Mesa. So we're all on top of each other and um, we all know each other's business and it's growing like a weed, but I'm, I'm up in Gold Hill Mesa. Right on. Well, you are uh, well known here in town um, and you've got a beautiful resume. Maybe if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, what's your, what, what is your current position, past positions, maybe some you know, family life, hobbies, a little bit about, about who you are. So I'm Roger Butts. I'm, um, I'm a minister. I'm a Unitarian Universalist minister. I, um, I say that I, I try to follow the way of Jesus. I um, am a staff chaplain at Penrose Hospital and St. Francis Medical Center here in town, part of Centura Health. And I am married to Marta Fioriti, who is a United Church of Christ minister. We have three kids. One is in Seoul, Korea with her beloved, and um, two are wrapping up high school. 
and um, we have a black lab. I play tennis and I've been ordained almost 20 years, not quite 20 years. Um, I served a church in Davenport, Iowa for seven years. I served a church here for four years. And for six years, while I was doing my chaplaincy, I was a um, associate minister at Unity in the Rockies. So that's my credentials. That's who I am. Um, mostly, though, I, I play tennis and I try to write a little bit. Nice. Write a little bit. And what a great segue, because you just wrote this beautiful book called Seeds of Devotion. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about the book? Yeah, the Seeds of Devotion um, is a series of, it's called, it, the subtitle is Weekly Contemplations on Faith. So there are 52 stories, short little stories, and they're each followed by an open, inclusive, inviting kind of prayer. And after the prayer are reflection questions. Um, I know what I make of these stories, but the question becomes, what, what do you make of these stories? What does the reader make of these stories? Because the idea is to um, enable everyone to be reflective about their experiences, to name them, um, to have a prayerful orientation towards them, and to ask the right questions so that their compassion and love can increase. That's the whole point of the story great. of the book. No, no, great. What gave you the inspiration for the book? My guess is you didn't just become a writer just to write this book. You've probably been writing a long time. You've been a minister. What, what inspired you? What, what caused this? Well, you know, I had had some prayers and anthologies, and um, I had had some little essays and, and, and poems and prayers and anthologies. Um, from a, a publishing house in Boston, but um, COVID enabled me to write this book. Um, there were less opportunities to go out and mingle and, and all these experiences were happening to me in the hospital. And I'd get off from work and I was like, ah, oh, this is so much. And I had all this time you know, when I wasn't going out, I still had to go to work every day. But, um, and then my friend, Michelle Vandepass, who heads up Grace Point Publishing, was like, Roger, I've known you a long time. I know you've had a book in you a long time. Let's do this. And Grace Point took my, um, took my book, my book proposal, and um, they picked it up. And the, the secret of the book is that some of those things were written 20 years ago. Some of them were written 20 weeks ago. You know, um, I had a bunch of stories that I had collected over the years. So I, I tell people that this is like a greatest hits album without having any other albums, right? I went straight to the greatest hits. These are my favorite stories from 20 years of ministry. Interesting. So it's just kind of accumulation of COVID hitting you said the experiences at the hospital, were they, were they COVID related? A lot of what you were seeing was COVID or just the state of the, like you're, just the state of the world at the time. What, what was COVID related about it outside of that we were all stuck at home and the obvious of the pandemic? So in the hospital, um, we would see COVID patients. And the, the story that I tell 
um, a couple of COVID stories that I tell in here. One is about a, a, an older woman who got COVID. Her family was on the East Coast and the West Coast and there was nothing they could do to get to, get to her. And a nurse and I held up a phone so that the whole family could talk to her and we had all of the protective equipment on and they sang to her, they talked to her, they prayed with her. And we did this for, I don't know, two hours. And um, it was just powerful. Another story I tell is, is an early, early story, more than a year ago, um, like the second person who died here in this county. Um, you know, the poor wife, couldn't go and see him because we didn't, it was so early, we didn't know the protocols. Um, or if she did go to see him, she had to be alone. She had two sons, they couldn't be there. But I got called in late at night and everybody knew he was gonna die, he was prone. And um, finally the wife and, and the two adult children were able to go in and see them. And I just saw I saw God and the nurse putting on that protective equipment for that wife and those boys, those men, um, knowing that that family would never see him alive again, that they, they went in for a couple of hours and he was prone and they turned him uh, upright. And as soon as they did, he, he basically died. Um, but it was in those moments of seeing those nurses, chaplains, doctors really care for these people in, the, in a way that was just profound, where I just saw God. I saw God in those moments. And um, so I write about those. The other part is that, you know, because of the, the policies and the procedures and all that, um, a lot of people were... Um, you know, stuck outside. They couldn't see their family. They, they could only go in one at a time and um, whether they had COVID or not. And, um, and it was just this disconnect. And I felt all this disconnect around, um, you know, around sick people, but also just globally, we were all just stuck in our houses. And so all of that was stirring up in me. Yeah, wow. I'm actually, I mean, I, as you're saying this, I'm fighting back tears and have goosebumps. <laughs> like, I just, uh, you're, you're saying just, I'm just picturing you being a chaplain and a minister for all of these years. And, um, you know, you're speaking of just a couple of events, but this is what you do every day, all day. Um, I think, I think a lot of us lay people, um, you know, we, we know that you do this work and we appreciate it. And actually 20 years ago, I had a traumatic situation where I spent a, a few months in the hospital and a chaplain kind of took me under her wing and, and you know did things for me that I didn't think were imaginable as far as keeping me stable and safe. And so um, I just, as you say these things, I just wanna thank you for the work that you do um, because it's, um, you know, it's um, uh, like, police officers or firefighters or, or, or ministers, like you, you guys are, are, are doing, you have your higher cause and we, you know, just thank you. We really appreciate you. Thank you. I, I, I love my work. I've been doing it for eight years now, I think, in the hospital. I, I certainly um, 
had experiences before in a in a hospital setting when I was in seminary I worked on the eastern shore of Maryland in a in a hospital for a summer getting trained and I also worked at the University of Maryland in in Baltimore um, for about a year year and a half and um, I was on duty when 9-11 happened oh wow that was intense um and that was such a big, huge shock trauma center. There were a lot of difficult moments there as well. I, I remember once um, I had, you know, I was young, it was 20 years ago. I wasn't very seasoned, but um, I, uh, 22 years ago, I was at the University of Maryland and, um, you know, on the East Coast, there's like 10 o'clock news, you know? Yeah, And it was a Friday night. It was November. It was rainy and cold, not snowy and cold, rainy and cold. And these two young cousins, boys, like 19 years old, um, decided this would be a good night to drink heavily and really heavily and get on their ATVs or whatever those things are called, you know, their four wheelers and um, go down the railroad tracks. Wow. Seems like a good idea, right? Yeah, what could and, possibly go wrong? <laughs> right, exactly. And so they're going along, and as you would expect, a train comes. One of them flies off, and one of them gets hit. And um, it was just horrible. The two families had seen on the news that one of them had died and one of them had lived, oh. but they didn't know which one. Uh, and it was just, it was, I mean, like your traumatic experience, it was just something I'll never forget. Yeah. So, and, you're, and your position is stepping right up to, to help those families. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's wild. But I love, I love this work. And, um, and I'm grateful to always talk about it. Well, you know, the, the, the premise of the show... <clears throat> as I shared before we started recording, um, I've had some incredible experiences. Uh, if anybody's listened to the show, uh, I talked about how my radio turned on spontaneously without anyone touching it, kind of woke me from a darkness. I've had experiences where family members that have passed have spoken to me and kind of appeared to me. Really beautiful things that have, that have helped uh, kind of uh, awake me, you know, wake me spiritually. A um, mm -hmm. couple of interviews that I've done, my good friend Bill Morris spoke of uh, letting go of his, his, he was driving on a winding road, a windy road, let go of the wheel and the car drove itself for a couple of miles, like really incredible stuff. And, and in your book, you, you speak of a couple of experiences like that. Um, wondering if you could just, you know, the reason we like to tell these experiences uh, you know, is to create bewilderment and awe. And the more, the more we tell, the more we tell, the more people will, you know, potentially be engaged and think about their own life, um, kind of like your book, you know, provoke people to think about uh, the, the much greater thing that is happening to all of us, you know, outside of our daily world of just getting our work done and going to the grocery store. Um, right. And so maybe if you if you do have a couple of those experiences or even one, it'd be wonderful if you'd share. Well, listen, I'm going to tell you about a, another Friday night at Penrose. And um, I got called at 730 
in the evening and I was just a couple of hours away from being off work. And this nurse says to me, Roger, I think you need to visit this person on the fourth floor. She's older, she's alone. Her family had gone to um, get some much needed rest and um, she's gonna go to hospice, which means she's just a couple of days away from, from dying. And, um, and as, as I walked in, he said to me, you know, the nurse said to me, uh, look, she's just in there muttering the Lord's prayer. And so I walk in and sure enough, she was frail and she was old and she was muttering the Lord's prayer. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I was like, I know that prayer. I can, uh, I can sit with her and say that prayer. So we're going along and going along. She doesn't know I'm there, but I'm holding her hand and we're getting towards the end. And somehow she notices me and she's like, she says, oh, well, I seem to have forgotten the end, but thank you God for everything. And went back to her stupor you know? and like, it was like this moment of like, oh, this woman is still in there. I mean, she's, she's at the end of her life. But in that moment, she was like, thank you, God, for everything. Um, you know, it's, it, you'd have to be sort of in a coma yourself not to see the, the point of that story. Right. But um, I love that story. It'll stick with me forever because in a moment of clarity towards the end of her life, the thing that was on her lips was um, a prayer that she knew really well, that was with her even when she was not completely there. And when she couldn't figure out what was next, the thing that was on her lips was gratitude. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just beautiful. That's a beautiful story. I, uh, to me, that's a beautiful story. Um, so, you know, that's the kind of thing that I, I tell in this, in this book. Um, and, you know, I, I, I asked, well, can I read the prayer that follows that story? Absolutely. This is wonderful. So the prayer after, after I tell that story, the prayer is, is really a reflection on chaplaincy, but you'll, you'll, I think you'll like it. First walk gently. You're entering into the great mystery. Sorrow, regret, anger, grief, relief. You never know what you'll find. You may as well walk gently into that room, which will likely be dark and quiet. Second, talk gently. The dead dream and survivors do too. They're in a fog or out to sea or in the deep woods. Pick your image. But talk gently. That mystery will one day be you and yours. Third, act gently. Your gentleness will invite whatever needs to happen to happen. If at all possible, make it so the wife, husband, mother, child hardly knows you're there. Listen gently. Listen with your eyes and your ears and mostly your heart. The stories will come. Be there to hear them. Stories remind the wife that she is still alive and is alone and not alone all at once. Be the spirit or Jesus or Muhammad or the Buddha. Pick your guide. 
and be that person. Mary, Dorothy Day, Thomas Merchant, it matters not. Of course, you are the best option. So be you and all of your quirky, unexpected, beautiful, flawed, perfect essence. Amen. And then I ask questions. One of you accompanied the frail, the weak, the very vulnerable. What did you do? What part of you emerged that was a surprise? How has another accompanied you in a difficult time? What do you remember and what seemed to help? Who are your guides and what do they teach you? So that's how the book works. Wow. That's incredible. That's wow. my book. Yeah, no. Well, we, oh man, you're kind of, a, I'm just at a long speechless. I'm just sitting here. It's so beautiful. And I love Thank when you talk about your guides, like that's, you know, the, your spiritual guides. Yeah, they're like with you all the time. Um, but the, but Thomas Merton, you know, who died a long time ago, doesn't want me to be Thomas Merton. He wants me to be Roger Butts. The Buddha doesn't want me to be the Buddha. He wants me to be Roger Butts, right? right. So you're, you know, no matter who you are, you're the best option in that moment. Another story I'll tell you, I'll tell you this one, and this is a little bit different of a story, but um, Martin Luther King, I, I, I call this, um, I call this story Martin Luther King and the Kitchen Table. King was a, King was a um, young man and he was down in um, Selma, I think, or um, I can't remember where, he, what town he was in, but they thought the, um, the boycott was only gonna last for a little while, but it was really lasting a long time. And he was getting death threats and it was just difficult. And his wife and his child, after a long day, were in, a, in the bedroom asleep. And he came home and he got a phone call. If you want to live, get out of here. You got to leave town if you want to live. And it was not said in such a nice tone. And um, he was like, maybe it's time for me to leave. And, you know, he could have had... He could have had so many options. He could have taught at any seminary he wanted to. He could have written books. He could have done anything. And um, he was sorely tempted to just walk away from it all. And he sat down at the kitchen table, made some coffee. And, um, and he says, in that moment, he just heard a voice. And, you know, he was not one to talk about his pious, miraculous kinds of things. He was, you know, he was... He was on a mission to do some things. But at that kitchen table, he heard a voice, a voice of God saying, keep, keep at it. You're not alone. Uh, you're doing good. And I'll always be with you. And it gave him courage. And you know, a couple of days later, his, his house was burned or something. And it gave him courage and it gave him strength and resilience to get through that. So I talk about that story as well. So it's not just my stories. It's other people's stories of having these moments of clarity and these moments of strength and these ideas that we're not alone and that we're all connected to each other. We're all in it together. So 
those are um, some of the kinds of stories there. Well, and when you say, and uh, we're not alone, we're all connected, um, you know, you mentioned uh, Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, um, you know, you being you, it kind of leads to, you know, the next question, what, what, what are your beliefs and what, what, what is this presence? Who, what is this presence um, to you? And what have you, in years of, years of doing this work, being a spiritual leader, what causes this? Who, what is happening? Yeah. Um, you know, there have been times when I believed in God and I didn't believe in the connection of all people. There were times I didn't believe in God, but believed in the connection of all people. And um, now I am at a place where I believe in this very affirming God and that we're all in it together. And um, it took a long time, it's quite a journey. And um, I think it's just a spirit or an energy of love, um, a spirit or energy of peace, um, a spirit or energy of grace. And, um, and we've, we, we come to those places through the face of the other. We come to those places in nature and other human beings and animals and looking at the sky. And we come to a place of, um, of profound insight about the nature of the world. And it doesn't come easily. It comes with a lot of struggle and a lot of tears and, um, but there was, this, there was this French philosopher, and I have a chapter about him, Emmanuel Levinas. And um, he is, uh, his family was killed in the Holocaust. Um, he was a French philosopher. And he said, the only thing that converts us is the face of the other. And what does it convert us to? What does it convert us to? And what I think it converts us to like he was Jewish, so he he's not interested in converting anybody to Judaism, right? But he um, but I, what I think it converts us to is presence, radical presence, peace. As we confront the face of the other, we know that we cannot kill, and then curiosity, courage, and compassion. Those are the things that we're being converted to when we really encounter the other. Um, and what enables that encounter to happen, some people call God, some people call Buddha, some people call this or that. I know there are a billion names for that and none at all. So I just call it the spirit. Nice. Nice. That's so about beautiful. as far as I've gotten. Yeah. And I, what a beautiful statement. It's about as far as I've gotten. Like you're on your journey. You're on your journey in, in this earth school. You know, it's not over. You know, if, if you've been a spiritual leader for many years, you're not saying you've got it figured out. You're saying you're on the journey. Humility and self-awareness. Um, this is what Teresa of Avila says is necessary to enter into the life of of 
prayer, life of the spirit, is humility and self-awareness. Um, humility because whether we, we think we're badasses and have all the answers um, or not, nobody has all of the answers. Um, but I've certainly met plenty of people who think they know all the answers and it's difficult to deal with. Um, and um, self-awareness, like who am I in this situation? Chaplaincy is all about um, knowing who you are so that you can be a peaceful presence in that moment <clears throat> so the other person can say whatever they need to. Um, and if, if you don't know what's going to trigger you, if you don't know what's going to trip you up, if you don't know what's going to make you pissed off, if you don't know what's going to make you super sad and want to run away, then you're, you're not going to be a very good chaplain because you're going to get in your own way. Yeah. So um, now you can't know, you can't know all situations you learn and learn and learn, but those are some things that, that I've come to think about the spiritual path. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Um, you're so you know. funny. I love your, um, I love, you're like, you, you have a podcast about awe and wonder and you just live out of this place of awe and wonder all the time. You're like so grateful and so amazed all the time. Well, I, yeah. It's like, uh, I mean, to, it's like Buddy the Elf. If you've seen that movie, like uh, it's a, it's a Will Ferrell movie, but living in just like, just awe at all times. That's just a kind of a joking way to say it, but actually the spiritual awakening that I've had and the experiences that I've had continue to have, um, that has caused this bewilderment and awe. I think it's so easy and today and with multimedia, the internet and everything, we are inundated with so much information. I think just to be able to stop and listen to the things that you're saying intently because they are so profound and so, um, so out of the narrative of today's world, but they're actually our truth. So the narrative of today's world, we know what that is, we know what we see on the news, and it's detaching us more and more from who we truly are. And so um, I, just, I just feel like the things you're saying are bewildering. They are, they should be. Um, thank you. I, I, I will tell you, um, Here's the preface to the, you know, the first part of the preface to the book. And this is what's driving the book. It's called Seeds of Devotion, available wherever you buy your books. <laughs> your life is dripping with the divine presence. The world is dripping with the divine presence. No matter how dire the situation or joyous the occasion, we're invited into awareness of that beloved presence. There are different things needed to get there. Humility and self-awareness, walking the dog for an hour and a half, which is what my wife does, yoga, centering prayer. Silence is crucial. Naming your experience, a prayerful orientation, and asking the right questions to alight your imagination and compassion. This book is an attempt to help us get there. That's what the book is about. Beautiful. 
and and I'll you know I'll plug this at at the end of the show, but maybe you could say, or is the book available on on most formats where people can buy it online or in local bookstores? Uh, yeah, Amazon.com and Barnes and Noble and Cokesbury for your religious um, readers um, bookshop. Um, but it's also if you're in Colorado Springs, it's at Richards and it's at West Side Stories and. Um, I think it's a, a likely story. So the, 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 lo the local places. Um, I think the library district is getting a copy. It's slow going, but they're getting a copy as well. So it's around. Where, yeah, where else can we hear from you? I think you have a medium. Um, you, you do, you write on medium.com. Is that right? Write on medium.com. Last night I wrote a bit of flash fiction we're at like 200 words, a little story of like 200 words where this woman is, um, has, has decided to take up smoking again because I think she had some kind of um, like car incident. So I write really weird stuff, but I mostly write prayers and stories about chaplaincy on my medium. It's medium.com, Roger Butts or liberal Christian or something. And then I also work, write for um, Contemplative Light, which is a really cool group of folks who are, are on spiritual journeys. I write for them a lot. Um, I also have another book coming out with um, that I'm in that's an anthology called Shelter in This Place, Meditations on 2020 um, from Skinner House Press. So yeah, I'm around. I'll be preaching at Unity this um, summer every other week because the minister over there is leaving and they asked me to come and speak in July and August and September. So people can also catch me there. Got it. Well, that's, thanks for sharing that. Um, let me, let me ask kind of one final question. And this is, this is my favorite question of the show. Um, we all, as you know, I'm 47 years old, you know, our entire lives, I was, I was raised Catholic, um, you know, our entire lives around a lot of spiritual people and non-spiritual people. We are always uh, asked the question, what happens when we die? And we all have our own answers of that. We, we go to heaven, you know, nothing happens. We just get buried in the ground. Maybe our souls go on. We all have different things. I, I love the question of not what happens when we die, but what's happening right now? What's happening while we're living? Um, right. Because to me, that allows us, instead of thinking that I, if I'm good on, you know, if I'm doing good while I'm here as this human being, after it's over, I'll go on to the next thing. It's my belief that it's all happening right now. And, um, and maybe what's your opinion about that? What's happening right now? Um. Eternity is happening right now in each of these moments. Every moment is a bit of eternity. Um, uh, every moment is an invitation to wake up and, and as you said, listen and, and notice and be in amazement and awe. Um, every moment is an invitation to connect. Um, and I don't know any more than you do about <laughs> what happens when we die. But the joke that the Unitarians always told was, um, and it's not even a joke, it's like a saying, I guess, but 
um, I'm I'm much interested. I'm much less interested in if there's life after death. What I want to know is if there's life before death, and um, and so I have no clue what happens when you die. I've I've sat with so many people who have died, and I have sat with them, and I have sat with their families, and I've been in rooms with people who are dead. Um, I have no idea. I know it's a great mystery. I know it's a great miracle that we're born and that we, um, like, what, what all had to happen, whether, whether you're a secular humanist or a Christian or a Buddhist, like, what all had to happen in order for us to be sitting here in this moment? It's like such a craziness. Um, I'll leave you with this, okay, Michael? Yeah. I'll leave you with this. This is my answer to you. O oh, great mystery, the known beyond all knowing. Oh, that I might live without certainty, that I might live in the questions of it all, to be comfortable there, to stay there and abide in it, the messiness of it, the non-assurance of it. As you abide in me, though I know nothing of myself, as you abide in me and your love and your grace, even though I am lost and unsure and guarded, and all of it, messy, messy. Thank you, and again, I say thank you. That's incredible. That's all I know. That is so beautiful. You know, <laughs> why don't, why don't, unless you have anything else, why don't we just leave it right at that? I think this was, this was, I really appreciate your time. Um, thank I you hope so much, you. Michael. Hope to meet you in person, and I actually I will. Let's let's find a time to get coffee and meet in person because I'd love to stay connected to you. I love coffee, and I um, would love to do that. And thank you for your time. Thank you, sir. Wow. Thank you, Roger, for your insight, for everything you do in the community for moving in the space between working as a chaplain. I love how he said, eternity is happening right now. Every moment is an opportunity to wake up. Every moment is an invitation to connect. Roger has a big resume, lots of accomplishments. One of them is he's a longtime member of the International Thomas Merton Society. I found a few quotes from him. We are already one, but we imagine that we are not. And what we have to recover is our original unity. What we have to be is what we are. Here's another. The greatest need of our time is to clean out the enormous mass of mental and emotional rubbish that clutters our minds. Isn't that true in today's society? Here's yet another. We have what we seek. It is there all the time. And if we give it time, it will make itself known to us. Thank you again, Roger. Thanks for listening today. Please check out his book and his writings on Medium. Look him up. There's plenty of information online. 
Check out our website at hardsunpodcast.com. If you have anything to share, please go to the contact page and share it with us. Reach out. Hope you have a beautiful rest of your day.